Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. I'm one of the editors at Film Comment. And this week, we're continuing our coverage of the 59th New York Film Festival. This year's NYFF lineup had a record number of new and emerging filmmakers. And the two that really stood out to us at Film Comment were What Do We See When We Look at the Sky by Alexandra Koberitsa and The Girl and the Spider by Ramon and Silvan Zercher. Both are intellectually audacious sophomore features that take a truly idiosyncratic approach to narrative and form. And both films in their own ways electrify the everyday with currents of desire, romance, and modern myth. During the festival, I had the wonderful opportunity to bring Silvan Zercher and Koberitza, who were actually classmates at the German Film and Television Academy, also known as the DFFB, for a talk. We discussed their filmic inspirations and aspirations, their trajectories within Swiss and Georgian cinema, and the whimsical play with time and space in their movies. We hope you enjoy the conversation, and a quick thank you to HBO, which is the presenting partner of all NYFF Talks. Thank you both so much for agreeing to do this. I know you both came into New York just a few days ago. You're probably very jet-lagged. I'm very grateful that you made time to do this. It's great. Um... I'm, I don't know if it's a jet lag in this direction too, or only in the other way around, but um, I only slept four hours a night for three nights. So I'm still like a bit like yeah, in okay. another time zone. So I'll just ask you anything and, and see what comes out. Yes. So okay. it's like who fell asleep first? Okay. God, that's a lot of pressure on me. Okay, so to start with, when we invited you both to do this was when I discovered that you both already knew each other because you went to the same film school, which is the DFFB, the German Film and Television Academy in Berlin, which is a very prestigious European film school that a lot of great directors have gone through. And I thought I'd maybe start by asking both of you what your first encounters with cinema were and like wh- how you ended up in film school? Well, the first film I recall I've seen in a movie theater was The Bear. This, um, it's a French movie, but, um, and influential. Actually, it's that when I start or when I was a teenager, then me and Ramon, we already collected all the articles about films we were thrilled to to watch in like um, a, a folder. So it was pretty early already that we were obsessed by films and by filmmaking. And it was um, in school, we had these little books that one child gave from one and to another. And you had to write what you want to become later. And, and Ramon, he already wrote filmmaker a bit um but actually we were children. So in a way it was pretty early that films must have made pretty much impression on us that we wanted to to make films. What kind of publications were you tearing articles out of? It was a newspaper. It was articles like critiques and also rankings. We were obsessed by rankings <laughs> like stars, how many, which critique gave how many stars to which film. So we we always 
cut them out and then we marked the films we've seen. Yeah. yeah. So we had like a, systemat a, a systematization. So like an early letterboxed or something. <laughs> what was the film that made you want to be a filmmaker though? Is were there, was there one that you saw and you thought, I can be a filmmaker or I want to make films? No. There's been like a bunch of films. And when I was a child, there's been films like Free Willy, E.T. or um, Aschenbrödel. I think Cinderella. The, the mm. Eastern European film we wanted to watch like uh, uh, always on Christmas. It's been these kind of films that we we loved or... Home Alone, mm. a, a dog called Beethoven, all these these films, wow. and then then it shifted. And this so, was in Switzerland, like when you were growing up in Switzerland, or yeah, huh. these films have been showed there. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty okay. international. And what about you, Alexandra? What what were your some you know early formative encounters with cinema? Um, like. The first uh, VHS, which I was putting myself and like starting and watching it, was a. Uh, I never discovered how it, why we had it, or what, what 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 was it. But it was like VHS. I was maybe six or seven, and there were only two music videos on this thing: "Careless Whisper" and very special music video by Elton John, "I'm Still Standing." It's like really beautiful music video. So I was watching it for years, I think, just putting it and watching and then again and again. What was the moment when you thought that you wanted to do it? I was already studying. I was, I think, 18. I was studying microeconomics and management and I came home and my mom said she watched the film by Guy Ritchie uh, and she said, wow, it was a very good one. And I said, okay, wow, what is this? Uh, I watched it, and it's 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 not a thought in a bad way, but I had a feeling it's... Wait, which film? I don't remember the name, like Two Guns and... Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking yeah. Barrels. And I don't know, I, I thought it's something my mom likes, and it's something I would have made it too. It's like, it's, it's not some... I understand how you can make it. Mm. For the first time in my life, I understand how something is done and I can do it too and then my mom would like what I've done. So and that's it was like really first thought about generally making cinema. Hmm. And also kind of in this moment also deciding, okay, maybe that's what should I do. And neither of you grew up in Berlin, right? So how did you make your way to the DFFB? How did you end up there? And I'm curious if you guys had any shared experiences there or any classes that that were really formative. It was that Ramon, he first he studied art in Switzerland and because he was too young to apply already at film schools, that he's been told that first he has to study something else, then he will be old enough to to apply at film schools. That's why he, after studying art, applied at, I think, three or four film schools in Germany. And one was the DFFB that accepted. So he he went there. And me, I've still been studying in Bern and Zurich. Mm -hmm. And after finishing university, I 
felt like because I studied film studies, so I had a theoretical approach to film, while Ramon, he already had a practical one. And um, he was already making short films and medium length films. And we were always discussing like the scripts and the screenplays. And he already told me about the shootings, the student shootings. And I found it interesting and appealing. So I also wanted to apply. But I didn't apply for directing mm -hmm. because I knew that there's a big competition. There's many applications and the chance to be accepted is very small, is little. So I applied for film production because there's just there's less um, applications. So like uh, to, to be a producer? A producer, yeah. Well, that's what you did too. You, you applied to be a producer and then you switched to directing, right? Yeah, but... Um I honestly thought I wanted to produce films. It's not. It was not a game. Mm. But mine wasn't a game either. No, no. It was, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's what not what I mean. But I don't know. Uh, when, when I started to study, I think you, you started a year later, but still you were sometimes at school, maybe helping Ramon. Before, like his first three years, I've never been at the DFFB. It okay. was, I was still in Bern. But um, then three years later, that was my first year and your second, your second yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, year. Then I think we had se several classes together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just remember that because for everybody who doesn't know Ramon and Silvan, I mean, now I can uh, understand who is who, but they, they, they look very much alike. They're twins. <laughs> and uh, there were like, there was a time when uh, I met Silvan, but uh, there was also Ramon at school. So for me, it was at some point I was meeting a guy and he was like, hey, how are you? We were talking and uh, the same day I see him and he's not saying anything. So for a few weeks, I thought it, it is one guy who is really strange. Uh, at some point I discovered, okay, there are and two guys actually, and both are nice. And the newbies had like a godfather fr from the second year and Sandro was my godfather. So always when I had questions, I could, could actually have asked you, but I, I didn't too often, I think. No. Wow, I didn't know this. That's so incredible that he was like your mentor. It's like a lottery, so the the second year students, they could just take a name, and Sandra took my you name, it. but it was a chance. Well, chance plays a big role in both of your films, so I think that's very cool that you were connected by chance. So what, I'm curious, your time at DFFB, what would you say, how did it influence the way you look at cinema? What is like one thing that you left the school with that has continued to define your way of making movies? It was very influential because the first year was also the first year in Berlin for me. So it was a double shock. It was because in Switzerland, there's no such like big cities. So to start an everyday life in such a big city was like the first shock. And then to be in this academy, where there's also some competition, like, feelable. 
that is very different to you to how it was at university there it felt like very much solidarity among the students and you you don't compare each other or sometimes at the dffp still there you just know that the teachers in a way compare the students and you'd mm -hmm. like to please or there's these kind of structures that become in her inherent so um Actually, I, what, what is your question? <laughs> Just it was, how, what did you learn in film school that has uh, continued to influence your filmmaking? Yeah. yeah. So, um, actually, at the, um, at when Ramon was new, there was, I think, the 50 years old um, anniversary of the DFFB or 60. And that's why they had a workshop of many films of influential filmmakers that make the DFFB. And before he didn't know the Berlin School, he didn't mm. know the films by Angela Schanelek. Mm. And then he was very much impressed that films can also be told that way because it, it was something brand new. He didn't, hasn't been like, um, con not confronted, but he didn't, he has never seen films narrate or that are formed that way mm -hmm. and then he he always bought dvds of these films and um gave them to me because he wanted me to to also get to know them and um that was like a first thing that was very much also in a way influential mm. and then there's other things for example um like all the students had to make classes in all the disciplines. So, so also in lighting, in camera work, in, um, in all the things. And one was um, camera and there was um, a camera woman from, she shot the films of Eric Romer, mm. some of them and, um, and others. And there it was always like a question how to economically um, narrate or how to build up scenes in, a econo in an economical way with the fewest shots. This also has been something very much driving or kind of something influential. Just this econom economy of storytelling mm. and certain... Yeah. Mm. That's, That's what I recall. Um, yeah, I think we had this. Um, we had two two teachers who who kind of for me and you you got also Marin no for a year I think um, Sophie and uh, Marin who I don't know the I think for me the most important thing was with those two people spending days watching films and then talk about it so somehow developing language, how we can talk about film. So mm -hmm. generally how we talk, what is the language? Not like uh, language, language, but how we think and how we express ourselves mm. about films, what is, how we communicate about cinema. I think this was like the, for me, the main thing which, because now I, maybe I can't communicate with everyone, but there is some group of people we understand each other when we talk about cinema. Uh, and that gives also the ambition somehow that you can talk with more people and maybe they will understand you too. Mm. Um, I don't know. Th this is one thing. And like the, what, what, for me, like the main thing, what I learned from 
when from Marin Marchevsky, for example, is um, what he said, like that the films he liked was the films where you can watch the films and take walk in these films. Mm. And it's, I think it's very much the opposite of what, uh, what, what uh, of the Sophie uh, Mantineau's uh, way. I, I think it's not her way of making films. It was just one seminar or like, but of this very economically making films, but just in another direction of making films where there is no economy, but we, which are there and you can like, yeah, take a walk. I love that and films wait. that you can take a walk in. That describes your film very well, actually. Well, I do want to get to the films, you know, more specifically, but something that struck me about both your films is that they are about the gaps in language and in communication that can only be depicted through the image or through cinema. There's a lot in these films that is unsaid or unspoken and has to be seen and felt. And I was curious if there were other mediums that you were ever fascinated by or considered before arriving at cinema. You mean like art forms? Yeah, art or literature or music or any of the others. Music, definitely. I don't know. I was Q&A, I already mentioned I talked about football, but also like music. For me, I, I'm always watching people making music and uh, I think, wow, wow. It's something I, I can't do, but I would. And uh, all my life, before, it, it, I never dreamt, dreamed, dreamt to become a filmmaker, but all my life I was dreaming to play guitar or be, be a musician. So knowing I can't do that, I was listening to, to music uh, a lot. Uh, and I think it, it, it is also, it, 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 it has somehow become part of the films I try to make in a way that I use a lot of music, but also I, I, I try to work with rhythms, mm -hmm. uh, which I can't express with an instrument, but somehow with images. And your brother is the composer of the film, correct? So he is a musician? He is a musician, yeah. He, he can do things I can't. <laughs> Does Silvan agree about brothers being able to do things you can't? Yeah, that uh, is possible, that is often the case. And about the mediums, I have been very much appealed by by writing, by mm -hmm. literature, and by music, but but not in an educational way. It's just that Ramon and me, we um, we constantly sum or sing, but it's not like in a good way. It's just um, the way one walks around and sums or sings. Mm -hmm. So um, rhythm and these kind of things are very much part of everyday life but not of something educational elaborate and um, and besides that it's like short stories we we like a lot and Ramon he first when studying art um, he made a lot of performances too and art videos so it's when we both were in Bern and there we've been working on on like art videos it's um, Often they were surrealist and mm. expressionist, but all but sometimes they were also like um, just very minimalistic um, performances that are like endless loops. 
So they're already like the audiovisual, I think we were in the early 20s, which um, was already like something that interested us a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I was also very taken in both of your films by the way you approach place, the idea of place, which is very different. Your film is a love letter in some ways to Kutaisi. Am I saying that right? This town that I believe your grandfather or great-grandfather was from, and it just kind of, you know, revels in these shots of the people and places and objects of, of the city and the culture of the city. And then in your film, it's placeless. I mean, it we don't know where it is. It's this apartment that feels like a set. Even though you begin with the floor plan, it's impossible to place where the characters are. Sometimes it's like these almost like continuity mix-ups or something where you don't know who walked past whom. And I know that you didn't you shot the film in like a variety of places. So I was curious, like what how do you both approach place in, in your filmmaking? Um, well, a variety of places, oh, it was only the exteriors, but indoor, all the interiors were at the very same place. It was in a studio, not a studio, but a brewery, and we built it on our own. But, Why um, a brewery? Because in Bern, there's no studio system. Actually, in Switzerland, there's no studio system, as one knows it from here. It's um, only what we could, uh, we didn't find original locations. Because there were certain demands that were very important to us. Um, and these very demands or requests, like in Bern, the apartments w weren't like this. As we, we had Ber Berlin apartments in mind. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why we found or we looked for an empty hall to then build like um, a chameleon or two apartments opposing each other um, that were like a chameleon so we the the six to eight apartments that are told or narrated in in the film they were all actually um, constructed in this very chameleon thing so it always changed mm -hmm. and um, but but the exteriors these um, shots we 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 shot in Berlin and in Bern. So when people ask where does the story take place, then it's it's not really a city with a, a zip code because the people are speaking standard or high German and in Bern people speak Bernese German. Mm -hmm. um, but still there's exteriors from Bern. So it's kind of a fusion. It's like a fictional city. That's in a way also our two homes because our mm. homes are Berlin and Bern. Interesting. Mm. And how about you? I mean, did you shoot in the city that the film is supposed to be set in? Yeah, uh, there was this city. Um, I mean, it's the second or third biggest city in Georgia, so everybody knows it. But for me, it was like a place uh, which I was hearing from my mom like all the time. Um, that yeah, uh, she was saying that her grand grandfather uh, was living there, was making wine, uh, was a had a wine factory and a huge home, and then uh, at some point communists came and everything disappeared. 
Um, and uh, then uh, where this big uh, home was, she was telling me now there is a football field. And that's, she was saying the, the house was so big that now there is a football field there. Um, where your family's house was? Yes. Wow. Um, so it's kind of a mythical thing for a kid to hear this. It also gave me a kind of made me brave to go there and shoot because I don't feel comfortable to go to places to make a film where I'm not related at all. Mm. Um, so even though it's my home country, still Kutaisi is a place where I've never lived. But then I remembered the story and I said to myself, no, but okay, uh, my grandfather lived there, so uh, I have some blood relations also to the place I, I can try. And, but I, I had almost no vision or knowledge how this city today lives or works. I know some people from there, but uh, not much. So I, me and our cinematographer, producer, spent there a year uh, trying to understand the place. And through this year, we were discovering that somehow all three of us, even though not me, Mariam, our producer, or Faraz, he's from Iran. Mm -hmm. we, we're not from this place, but somehow the rhythm of this place is for us very familiar. We feel that it has, our rhythm has something to do with the rhythm of this place. We're feeling home. And we tried to we show or present this rhythm also through the film. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I think with both your films, like I was saying when I was introducing them, they're so original and I can't quite, I don't even know how to describe them. You know, there's no way to summarize them or provide a log line because they're so rich and sort of ineffable. And I was very curious for both of you, what was the first image or sensation or idea that became the seed, that was the seed of the script? For me, it was then, now in the in film, it's not like this. This very desperate feeling of having spent night with someone uh, in a city where a beautiful night have fallen in love and waking up uh, with a different look and not be able to convince this someone that you are this because if you say it, you're crazy and... Uh, mm -hmm he can't recognize you. Then the story changed a lot, but this was this very desperate uh, yeah, feeling of mm. someone. There hasn't been just a one specific image or sensation or I visual idea. It was rather um, that because the strange little cat already was our first feature. Mm -hmm. There we had kind of a setup like children um, with elements to play with. It was a certain amount of characters. It was a place, this apartment with the kitchen mostly, 
animals, dialogues, and and these were our limitations. And actually, at the beginning, was rather something formal, just to widen the range of the things we play with, to um to to have more characters, then to also widen the spatial range, not to have one apartment only, but um, two buildings with several apartments in in these buildings. And um, also to widen the, the time range, not to have one day only, but two. Mm. So it was rather, we were like um, scientists <laughs> having a laboratory with a setup of things you work with and actually we don't really like to have an anything goes policy but mm. to kind of have this setup of what's possible and what not and then so at the beginning there hasn't been a topic or something but rather this and then it was also the moment because Ramon and me we, were, we lived together first and as twins we were a bit symbiotic so when Ramon desired to to move then it was kind of a turbulent <laughs> period and this then um, was also kind of a starting point for mm. then developing the dynamics or the character setup mm. but it so it was formal and then personal personal also mm. that's fascinating uh, I feel like both of your films are really fascinated by objects like you often have close-ups of objects. In your case, it's more the objects in the landscape of Kutaisi, but you close in on several parts of this, you know, setting. Um, and in your case, it's within the apartment. Uh, you guys are constantly closing in on these objects that seem to have like a life of their own or a magnetism of their own. And this idea that every one of these objects has a story that one could escape into. What made you kind of focus so much on these objects and this this fragmentation of the of the setting? Yeah, it's an odd thing to say, but I feel much like generally much comfortable filming objects than people. On one hand, uh, I don't know. I I have a feeling while filming people that I'm in some way I make them uncomfortable. I don't know because I also often work with non-actors mm -hmm. but also the, with actors somehow i think that i'm bothering them so it's uh, then always i try to make it quickly so i try to make it quickly and i i, I don't have, i improvise but when we film some objects then the fun starts because we do it this way and that way and maybe also this way so it and it doesn't complain it doesn't complain i mean and uh, I, I'm quite sure that uh, these objects, and I mean, we know it, they have a history and mm -hmm. uh, also maybe other things we, which we don't know. So it's not that, that, I, that we work without respect with things or plants or things which don't move, but uh, still it's, there are no eyes which are telling you, come on. Uh, Let's finish. Or uh, it's um, there is at least not so much uh, like tragic past because I think it's also one of the things which makes hard for me to film people because you know everyone 
everyone has had quite a hard time in his or her life. So um, it, it makes me often uncomfortable because you see it in the eyes and um, it, then I start to think about it and then it gets hard. So and when there is a stone, it's a bit easier. For you? Um, for me and I think also for Ramon, it's that um, we sometimes we like not to focus on the classic or the, the, the relevant in a classical way because in classical cinema, then you have the things that are important and the things that are less or not important. Mm -hmm. And we do like to have a spotlight also on elements that actually compared um, to the plot are outstanding or outsiders. So we do like to give them kind of a, a podium and to present them like more in a bigger maybe spectrum or in a bigger thing than classically possible. And um, what we also like is that because um, the way we tell the story is in a way also real-time storytelling. So we're very much sla slaves of the, the linearity of the time. Hmm. But by then showing the objects as traces of scenes that have been unfolding, um, then the whole realm becomes something non-linear. And that's something we like a lot to, even within this linearity and chronology, treat the, the space and the realm in a way that there um, something like a feeling of non-linearity and complexity emerges. And that's one way to, um, to, to show um, objects that have been involved in scenes previously. And um, yeah, and also because in The Strange Little Cat, there's a lot, uh, it's about transcience. And um, when you see someone smoking a cigarette and later on you just see the smoked cigarette, then it also kind of expresses or is a sign for for transcience and things, um, how the time goes by and how mm -hmm. things are brittle and don't stay the same. Not relations, not the skin. It's, it's all kind of um, yeah. flowing or... So these are aspects about how we treat or like to treat the objects. Yeah. I think I, it also, that we speak about, it also shows like how much, how many steps cinema is still kind of behind um, of other art forms like, I don't know, like painting uh, still lives. We know it from centuries ago, and it, it was not a strange thing at all. And they knew how to paint, I don't know, grape, and express the whole world mm. through it. And uh, somehow cinema is, I think, now, not now, I mean, from the beginning also working on it, but still it's, it's not something... Uh, common or it, it, it still feels like uh, doing strange things because it, it, it hasn't become uh, mainstream or something which is part of 
normality in, in singing alive. I feel like myth is very central to both your films. I think more obviously in yours because there is a strong fantastical element right from the start and you have gutters that talk and, you know, a curse and uh, people who wake up different from who they were and cinema as this um, magical presence in, in people's lives. But there's also like an everydayness. I mean, the film is very everyday. It's capturing everyday time and everyday life. But there's this undercurrent of magic, which I love. And I think it's more implicit maybe in The Girl and the Spider, but there are elements of myth in it as well. Uh, moments that seem unmoored from reality where fantasy seems to seep into um, this world. And so I was curious if both of you, I mean, did you grow up with folklore? Uh, has myth or fairy tales, have they been part of your life or, you know, or, or gothic tales? How has that come to become part of your cinema? Um, myth, uh, I think it's too big. For me, mm -hmm. I wouldn't um, talk about myth, but more, more about fairy tales and even more about feeling that these kind of things, uh, that the fairy tales are part of our life. Um, as a kid, but also, I, I don't know, it, 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 it was always with me, I think maybe not when I was a teenager, but now more and more this feeling that uh, completely unexplainable things are happening all the time around us. And this kind of thinking that we know stuff and the, the other, what is real, what is unreal, what can happen, what cannot, um, I, I, I'm just trying to live and uh, trying to live with people who, who are living together in a, in a way that, in a way of thinking that there are plenty of things we don't know. I have a cat and a dog we were talking today about cats and I don't know, I, I would never train, for example, my dog or when I'm looking at my cat, I have a feeling, wow, it's it's so much more knowledge than I would ever have. Knowledge, but in a way... Your cat? Yeah. Of of very different way. Kind of knowledge which is not accessible. Mm. Um, I don't know, in the night, her eyes are shining. and Dilated, yeah. In books, you can read that it's because of... I don't know, because they reflect, but I think it, it's not reflecting, they, they shine, and it's really strange. And stuff like this you see every day, and um, I try to somehow talk or think about stuff like this in, in films. Hmm. That's, that's quite lovely, actually. <laughs> I'm going to be looking at my cat tonight and thinking about everything that I don't know that he knows. <laughs> How about you, Sylvan? I mean... What's the? I mean, you already told us that Cinderella made you want to make movies, but uh, fairy, other fairy tales or folklore. Um, besides Cinderella, actually, we didn't have a tradition of of um, reading or or myth or folklore, but um, but we both like the uncanny of fairy tales that mm. they they can be evil or they pretend to be. 
um, darlings, but actually they're in a way uncanny and disturbingly um, traumatizing in a way. So that's something we maybe are appealed by or appealed of or um, attracted, attracted to. to. Yeah. And um, but besides that, and we also like to transcend like the na na naturalism and one mean is to open it to something more maybe magical or something like this. For example, in the Strange Little Cat, there was this bottle that um, kept on turning and didn't mm. stop. And um, here in The Garden of the Spider, it's more something dreamlike, expressionism-like, like, like um, the, the old lady on the roof in the night mm. and something like psycho-sexually um very tailish but um but besides that um yeah it's mm. not especially fairy tales or myths that um ruled our or we've been driven by just have a couple more questions then we'll we'll go to the audience but i wanted to ask about the place of desire in both films um i mean your film is like very much subverting like a grand romantic story, you know, it's the subversion of a meet cute, which is such a classic trope in cinema. And then you just take it somewhere else. It's about all the other things that happen around a meet cute. Uh, but it's still about how people can attract and repel one another in, in ways we, we can't understand. And I feel like your film is like all about yearning and desire and people just being pulled together and apart in the space. Um, and so I'm curious, like, how how does love or desire play into your conception of cinema? Somehow I, I decided, sometime, not decided, but uh, I don't know, I, I thought, because the, this film and also the film before it was about couples and love and romantics and uh, now I thought I, 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 I want to try something else, but... Uh, yeah, in, in this time I uh, I was there, and I I think it's um, not yeah as you were saying it's very classical thing, very easy. Like maybe the first thing when you say like a story or cinema or I don't know, fairy tale is the first thing you think about a couple and problems. Uh, so and that was kind of intention or the plan to take something very very simple. To and then open it up. Uh, so, but in a way that because the world we live in, it's like so over-sexualized. I don't know what bores me the most when I'm watching a film is uh, like when people are kissing or have sex. It's like, I mean, there are films where it's essential and where it's beautiful and where it makes sense, but in 95 or 99 percent it's it's i don't know for, for me it's hard hard to watch it just doesn't interest me as i don't want to see uh, any private life of anyone um, maybe i want to i won't but <laughs> at least i'm saying like this um so it was about to to start with this very private thing but then to let it be for these two, it's, for me, it's also kind of a statement that private things should stay private, even if we if we start to think about it, we leave it for them. 
But actually, desire has pretty soon been a central phenomenon in also already while while, while writing. And um, for us, it's like a merry-go-round of desire. And it's um, not only sexual desire, but also um, it is, but also the desire of for like another life or mm. desiring to connect. Because it's often like, actually, it's a lot of talking in the film, but still there's um, this feeling of speechlessness that people don't, or the characters don't really, um, they're not really able to express what they truly are bothered by, but they kind of tell stories and it's not just what's the point that they tell, but it's kind of a translation often. So um, it's... And this for us is also kind of a desire to connect that they want by the medium of communication, connect and tell us to share what they experienced. But, um, but language doesn't like function that way anymore. So there's this constant frustration. And I also find that it's kind of a desire, the desire. So it's not only sexual desire, but the desire to connect, to like build a unity with someone else that's been frustrated constantly. So for me, it's also a, le a realm of frustration. Mm. So my final question, it might be a bad question, uh, but like I was saying at the beginning, you know, again, like I just find your, both of your bodies of work so original and I, I don't quite know what sort of cinematic or more broadly artistic tradition I would place it in. And I was curious if you, each of you see yourself as belonging to some particular artistic tradition or, you know, emulating the work of some artist who came before you? Uh, you know, do you identify with any particular movement in the arts or in cinema? It is not a bad but a hard question. Um, but not, I don't know. I, I try to build what I do um, on things uh, which I love, like uh, which I like, uh, which I've seen. Is it film, music, literature, uh, things you see just outside, but uh, especially if we speak about art, um, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know where I read it, but uh, that the science, like the, in science, it's the, the next step is always proving someone who was before you he was wrong mm. and that's how it grows and that in art actually you can make a step through loving uh, someone for me it's i don't know when i when i think about making something when i think how i make this scene uh i i think about films which i love and that's how new things are born and are there any particular films that you always return to when you're thinking about films you love? Yes, many. For example, uh, I don't know, I, I watch a lot of Romea, for example, mm. like uh, Green uh, Ray, is it? How is it in English? Green Ray? I think so, yeah. Green Ray. Green Ray. It's, it's just an example, but it, it's, it's, it's a film uh, which I, I don't understand how this film is done, though you watch it, it's very simple, but uh, 
how I every time crying and it's 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 kind of a magical thing. So it's not every time that every decision I make through this film, but yeah, mm. it's it's a thing I think about. And it's also actually I wouldn't say that there's a tradition or a film school or something that I feel very attached to, but also like a big pool of films with like many films mm -hmm. and there's also many films that when re-watching them have to leave because and then then they're not in the pool anymore but um like what <laughs> i like actually for it's a, a bad example but it's the recent one i i always thought that battle attraction is great but then i rewatched it and i don't find find it great anymore but still it's <laughs> It's got something, yeah. Mm. Um, then, so it's also like a pool of films. Also, Romer, Antonioni, um, a lot of films I love. And also, short, like the, the literature of Salinger or Raymond Carver. So it's also mm. short stories I find fascinating. Or in, in Salinger, the way outsiders, um, the way he's he creates sensitive outsider characters always touches me when I reread them. Mm. So it's, often it's also literature. Like when there's something, a certain sensitivity by treating the characters that touch me a lot. All right. Let's open it up to the audience. Do people have questions? Just raise your hands if you do. So the question is, is it easier to make movies in Europe because there's more state support or would you rather make movies in the U.S.? Did I get that correct? That's a very hard question because we don't have, I, I speak for both or just, I, I've never, I don't have the experience of how it is to make a film in the U.S. But um, then you just have to need private equity, don't you? You have to to find people that fund your film. And this might be very difficult. <laughs> or, of course. and in But in Europe, for example, to finance The Girl and the Spider, it was pretty hard too, because um, in Germany, you first, first of all, you have to have a, a TV channel. And when you don't have a TV channel, then the others, they don't really trust the project because they want to be sure that it's going to be visib visible, that there's, it's going to be broadcasted. And for example, um, scripts like The Girl and the Spider, they're not really a match for them. So actually, that's why we couldn't finance it in Germany. And then we tried it in Switzerland, where, where it worked. There it's, but I'm not quite sure if you can generalize the way it is in Switzerland to the rest of Europe, because there often it is that this dominance of, of TV channels that want, and they have certain criteria what is relevant. So it has to be politically relevant, socially relevant, or when it's just in a way artistically relevant, then it's not of no interest because then they think that these kind of audience isn't our audience it's the festival's audience but not our tv channel's audience so there are certain um difficulties but i think because friends of mine they're filmmakers here in new york and 
they're also in a way struggling. So I think both um, models do have their pros and a lot of contrast, mm. probably. Do you have any thoughts on that, Alessandro? No, I, I really don't have any experience to to answer this question. I, I, I've made films only as a student and I applied for a funding now, so I'm waiting. If I get it, I could say oh, it's okay, but if not... <laughs> if not, it sucks. <laughs> Any other questions? So the question, I'm just repeating so that everyone can hear it, is how did Georgia and Georgian traditions inform uh, the process of making your film? Um, um, I lived before, like making this film. I lived almost uh, twelve years in, in Berlin, in Germany. So um, through the film, through the previous film, and also this one, I was kind of coming back home when I was still kind of feeling uh, as a, not a tourist, but uh, not as someone who already lives there. So um, it was a bit scary because it's uh, there is this risk of having a gaze of someone who's a stranger who who sees things in an in exotic way um, but I don't know I I, uh, I hope uh, we made the step to not in this direction but also so for me it was a way to come home somehow making this film staying there but not just staying but making something saying something about the place and yes I mean the the, the Georgian cinema and literature, me and also the people I was doing the film together with, we, we were trying to read and watch films and get getting the, the rhythm, but also kind of mood through, through these things. Because if you don't read, if you don't watch films and only go outside, I think you, you can get depressed. So it's, you, you need a balance. Not outside you find many beautiful things also, of course, but uh, you, you need kind of a help and push. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Silvan, you have a screening to get to, I think. So thank you both for doing this. This was so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.